Welcome to Out of Curiosity. Consider us your field guide for queer pride. You will hear from the best of the best in terms of queer business leaders, queer relationship experts, the activists working to protect us all, and everyday LGBTQ people that have figured a few things out so you don't have to. Out of Curiosity is brought to you by the Pride and Joy Foundation. Let's do this. Hey fam, it's your girl, Elena Joy, pronounced she, her. So happy you've joined us for another episode of Out of Curiosity, the podcast for Pride and Joy Foundation. Today we are joined by Ricky Ku, an incredible leadership and development coach who leverages his day job as a tech executive to mentor emerging LGBTQ leaders and increase their impact. Our conversation explores the binary experience of growing up in both American culture and Hong Kong culture, Ricky's experience in coming out to himself and his cherished mother, and how Ricky is using his voice to build connection and community. One of the things I teach corporate leaders in my consulting work is that inclusive leadership requires strategic vulnerability. These are skills inclusive leaders use to leverage opportunities to increase psychological safety while preventing harm. Ricky displays one of the skills masterfully in this episode, so let's call it out and learn from it. Inclusive leaders teach from scars and not wounds. Wounds are experiences or memories that still sting. They're still raw, and when touched upon, it hurts. It hurts both the leader and their team. Personal experiences that are healed, maybe still tender but not painful, those stories are scars, and those are incredibly useful to use in our leadership. So in this episode, I invite you to listen for a specific powerful moment when Ricky is masterfully teaching from a scar but not a wound. Powerfully vulnerable without being harmful. Fam, I'm so glad you're here with us today. Let's do this. Welcome to Out of Curiosity. We are so excited to be here today with Ricky Q, leadership and communication coach. Ricky, we found you, I think, on Instagram. We put out a call to action. Uh, please come write for us on our blog, which is an amazing blog, by the way, highly curated. Not just everything gets on there. We really like display the excellence. And we got the submission from Ricky. And when we read it, I was like, oh, oh, this is different. Oh, we got something here. So then it was like, Ricky, we have to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm very flattered. Um, it was it was one of those spontaneous connections on Instagram, social media. <laughs> and I saw it and I was like, oh, this I feel drawn to kind of submit something. So then that's, yeah, that's how we connected. And I'm I'm so glad you did. Yes. And something that really grabbed me, I love when a coach, when a, speaking about leadership and communication, right? When a leader communicates in a way that brings in their personal aspect in a way that really allows you to see yourself in that situation. I mean, I remember the opening two couple paragraphs of your blog post, and I remember feeling like I am there. Mm -hmm. I am there in that moment with Ricky, right? So I love when leaders are able to do that. Do you feel like you kind of bring that into your leadership and communication coaching is kind of how to bring yourself to the experience? Absolutely. And I will say, it wasn't always like that. I, I used mm. to be the polar opposite. I used to be painfully shy and I hid all the parts of myself that I thought I shouldn't be showing to the world. And in present day, when I do coaching, private coaching or team development, 
uh, workshops, that is my primary focus. It's to draw that out of people because that is the uniqueness that we offer to the world. And I, you know, earlier on in my life, I never saw that. I always saw it as a hindrance and I just always kept it kind of to the side or in the closet. (laughs) Right. And I so resonate with that concept of that is part of what I feel is our queer superpower is that once we're able to really come out to ourselves and to the world around us, like, and we, we go through multiple iterations of coming out to ourselves and the world around us. Right. But I think that's a defining moment of the queer identity is the ability to do that and to keep doing that. And every time we do that, we bring more of ourselves into every experience we're a part of. And it signs the permission slip for the heteronormative people that are around us to also bring their full selves to the experience. I honestly, I love that that's part of one of our queer superpowers out there. Yeah, absolutely. And what I've seen is also the more you share your story or just your experience, the more space that it allows people to take up also because if one person does it, then they start seeing and feeling like, oh, maybe I can do the same too. I didn't really have a lot of those role models for myself. So it took a lot of trial and error and and learning on my part, but that is my ultimate focus right now. And mission is really to, you know, share my story and also coach people in how they can tell their stories effectively Mm -hmm. so that they can show up in the world and be confident in just being themselves without having to feel like they're changing something about themselves to fit in. Yes. Instead of changing to fit in, we are owning ourselves so that we can belong, belong to ourselves, belong to our community, belong to our people. Absolutely. So I'd love to hear, obviously for many of us, we have kind of this change, right? We go from hiding so much about ourselves from ourselves and from the world around us into fully more embracing who we are. So where did you start off? Where were you before you got to this point of being able to really embrace who you are? So if we go all the way back, (laughs) (laughs) let's do it. (laughs) So I I was born in Hong Kong and I moved to the United States when I was about four. So I grew up here, but I did go back every single summer because my, my parents are divorced. And so my dad's side of the family uh, stayed in Hong Kong, and they're they're still in Hong Kong. So I kind of had this dual life to begin with, where even in and of itself, you think of American culture and Hong Kong, you know, culture, very, very different. We have to show up differently. I would say Hong Kong is more of a collective mindset, whereas American culture is probably more of a what I want, my dream. Individual, yeah. Sick, right? Not saying one or the other is bad. It's just something that I've always had to kind of switch between as I kind of went, okay, summer, I'm going back to Hong Kong now, get immersed into that culture. And then I come back to school with friends here. And then I kind of switch back to American culture. So in a way, I never really knew who I was because I was constantly just being molded into whatever environment I was in. That also didn't help that I was very shy as as a kid. Um, I think my mom would describe me as a very shy and reserved and very good kid. She said I'm the, I was a very easy kid. I I was a rule follower, and I was just more reserved. I was always more introspective, and I always self reflected a lot. I think the biggest reason why is because I had this big secret inside of me that I didn't even really have words to describe when I was younger. Right? I just knew that I felt different but I didn't really know what it was. So I just went along life and kind of just did 
did the thing that I was supposed to do in society, which was get good grades, be a good son, be a good brother. And I just kind of progressed, got through school. I became so good at being the version of myself that I think others expected me to be that model student. I got into a good college, all of those things. I secured internships. I got a good job. And eventually I got to a point where one day I just felt like completely lost. Uh, I remember I was sitting, I used to be an external auditor. So <laughs> auditors are, you know, one of the most hated jobs. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and so they would put us in the furthest corner in the offices. And I had this one client where they, they would purposely turn up the AC to where uh-huh. it was freezing cold to make us very uncomfortable so that we would leave you meet um, as soon as we were done with our job. But yeah, um, I was an auditor. We would work crazy hours. And so I remember one night it was past 9 p.m. and it was our team. And I was the lowest ranking one because I had just started fresh out of college. I didn't really know what I was doing. And we were working crazy hours. And when you're exhausted, your body just kind of goes on fight or flight, right? And Mm -hmm. so I didn't really, I wasn't really thinking logically. And I remember sitting in a bathroom stall and just crying. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was sobbing and I, you know, the tears were coming out and I didn't really know what was happening. And it was almost like a quarter life crisis kind of situation. But what I realized that day was, oh my gosh, I don't even know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. Even though I look back and I've achieved all of these things, I have a great job. I have a great start of a career, but I didn't really feel confident in myself. I didn't really feel like I was myself. So on that day forward, I decided to live openly as an out gay man in the workplace. And that completely shifted my perspective because up until then, it was always this kind of hesitation on my part where whenever I would show up at work, I would put on my, you know, buttoned up shirt. I would mm-hmm. wear a tie, and I would just show up as Ricky, the corporate kind of worker. And I would be great at my job and I would get the feedback that, you know, Ricky delivers on all the projects and stuff, but I didn't even feel like anyone saw me. I didn't feel like anyone really knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And so that turning point really allowed me to think of work in a different way and think of it less about how I'm supposed to show up and Mm -hmm. more about who I am and how I want to show up. Mm-hmm. And so I started getting more involved with our employee resource groups and ERGs. And eventually, as I grew in my career, I started leading the ERGs. And I started seeing more and more people, especially new graduates from college and, and new hires and interns, kind of gravitating towards these ERGs, especially mm-hmm. around the career space, trying to find the same communities that I was desperately looking for. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know I was looking for. And so I just got really, really passionate about that. And over time, I kind of grew in my career, became a leader. And that's where I kind of started my coaching business and said, okay, this is something that I really want to focus on one-on-one and through team development. Because when I look, even now I, I work in the tech space still, and I'm a, I'm an executive in the tech tech industry. There's not enough diversity. In no, 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 there's not. And while there's there's a lot of effort being put in place to try to build a pipeline of future leaders, I don't think there are enough people that look like me 
um, that talk like me and that have actually experienced kind of the windy path that I just walked through Mm -hmm. so that they truly understand the difficulties and the challenges that we face that is unique to, like you said at the beginning, you know, a a more heteronormative perspective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that breakdown. I feel like you just brilliantly summarized, like, I don't know, 25 years of your life. Now you you know my whole life. (laughs) I love it. That's fabulous. And I have some specific questions that I'd like to work through with that. So first of all, the first thing that came to mind as you were speaking about those two different cultures and, and really your development was focused around how do I maintain fitting in in the two cultures versus development around how do I maintain myself within those two cultures, right? And it really made me think about the binary, and how it was, it was, it had to be a this or that. Mm-hmm. There was no nuance to that, right? And I feel like that's so reflected in so much of the thinking around our community, oftentimes thinking within our community, right? I think it's it's fascinating to explore how binaries that come to us during our developmental years can really play into binaries later. Also, I'll pause there. Any thoughts about that? <laughs> it's so true. I always had this mindset of it's either this or that good, right? And it wasn't until actually recently, even where we started having more of these open conversations and more education around Mm -hmm. pronouns, as an example, even, right? I personally always just was, I would say, trained to think it's either he or she. Mm -hmm. And up until I would say five years ago, I still had that mindset, even as a queer person out. Yeah. Uh, in, oh, right? yeah. He or she. And when these pronoun conversations started coming up, I actually, in the workplace, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I appreciate that for people who who want to do that. I didn't mm-hmm. see that as something that, you know, mattered to me as much. But as I started educating myself and as I started reading more, I was like, oh, wait, no, this isn't about me per se. This is about creating that space. It's about creating that environment, opening up that conversation. So what I started doing at work was I put Ricky, you know, after every email, it's my signature, Ricky, parentheses, he, him. And then I added a link to what is this? And Mm -hmm. then I link it to pronouns.org. There's a really good breakdown of what pronouns are, why they're important. And I started noticing that more and more people on my teams that I interacted with started doing that also. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people would even ask me like, hey, what is what is that? It's, this is interesting. And so we would have a conversation about it. So even for myself, well after I came out of the closet and well after I was fully comfortable with my own identity, I still had this very, very <laughs> rigid view of the world. So it's, mm-hmm. it's fascinating when you when you brought when you said that it made me think of that immediately. Absolutely, right? Our brains just will start to develop in binary systems if we and we have to break that down as adults, right? We have to deconstruct those binary systems in our heads and start to develop more non-binary systems. And we could go like into so many different tangents with that, but I really love how you called out, you know, it starts with like yeah, okay, I can be an ally and use different pronouns, right? It just starts that way. Like, sure, no big deal. But then if you take one or two extra steps and you start to learn a little bit more about the human experience behind the allyship that you're doing, then all of a sudden your world expands and you see how it pertains to so many more people, including yourself. And now it's not like an allyship thing. It's like a, this is the next step in development, 
And how do we bring everyone onto that step together, right? Exactly. Oh, I think that's so interesting. Okay, okay. But let's go back to Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you talk about how you had that moment in the bathroom, right? Just that raw, broken down moment that so many of us can relate with. And then you say, and at that point, I made the decision to be an out and proud man. And that started kind of life 2.0. Now, Ricky, I know that it wasn't as easy as bursting from that bathroom and being like, I, <laughs> like, yeah. how did, let's break that down a little bit, right? For both the parents and the individuals in the audience, what does it look like to go from that moment? to then living life as an out and proud man because I think there's some nuance in there. Absolutely. So what what transpired after that, that was a turning point for myself, I would say. <clears throat> Internally, just my full acceptance of this is who I am. This is why I've been so unhappy. This is why I'm not confident in who I am, even after achieving all these things. So that was more of an internal thing. After that, that allowed me to have a little bit of courage to then have that conversation and that acceptance with my family. That was my first step. My mom is my number one hero, probably number one supporter of everything that I do. And so she was the most important person that I wanted to share this part of me with. And I was, of course, so terrified, so, so, so terrified, even though I was an adult I had all these thoughts racing through my mind. How is she going to react? Am I going to get kicked out? Because I still lived at home after mm -hmm. college um, as I was starting my career. Will our relationship change? Will she see me differently? All of these thoughts flew Okay, through. wait, pause. Because I know every mom listening to this is thinking, okay, did that mom overtly tell him that if you ever came out, like, was there ever anything like... I'm specifically teaching you to not tell me you're coming out. Or was it just a general cultural concept of this is very risky to come out to my parents? It, she never said anything to insinuate that at all. Um, mm -hmm. It was part of our, I would say, more traditional Chinese mm -hmm. background and roots, but also just the type of society that we grew up. I grew up in Southern California in a very suburban neighborhood, it was very, very this or that, right? So it was like, yeah. <laughs> boy or you're a girl. If you're a boy, you play sports. If you're a girl, you do this. So yeah. it was just the world that I was built up in created all these doubts when I felt like I didn't fit into that part of being what being a boy meant. And I knew that, you know, we have we have such a strong relationship and I knew that she loved me, but there was still doubt in me and question in me of, Will she still love me just as much and just the same if she found out that I wasn't this person or I wasn't, you know, this perfect boy or son that maybe she had envisioned? Um, this was all coming from me, though, internally. So it was a complete roller coaster, even getting to that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So you got to the conversation and. Yes. So it was Christmas Eve. And we were, it was just me and my mom and we were making dinner together. We have a pretty small family, but at the time it was just me and my mom and we had dinner. We had a really nice dinner. And afterwards we were just cleaning up and I was helping, you know, at the table, she was doing the dishes. And I just felt like that, that was it. It wasn't planned. And it's just kind of oh. like, okay, this is, 
I think this is the moment. Um, I knew building up to that, I wanted to, but I just didn't know when, right? Mm -hmm. There's never the perfect time. So I said, okay, she's doing the dishes. I'm kind of helping out. I'm just going to maybe casually, you know, share this part of me. And so I said, I walked up to her and she was doing the dishes with her gloves. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, hey, mom, I I wanted to talk to you about something. And we speak Cantonese. So I said this in Cantonese. And she was like, okay. She didn't even really look at me. She was like, okay, what, like, what's going on? She's doing dishes. And I said, well, you know how you always ask me if I have a girlfriend yet or if I'm dating anyone? And she's like, yeah. And then she, I saw her starting to kind of slow down a little bit. And then she turned off the water and then she put the dishes down. And she looked at me and I said, well, no, I don't, I don't have a girlfriend yet. And she was like, oh, okay. And I said, because I'm gay and I like boys. And it was uh, that moment, it felt like everything froze, like silence, there was no response. And I felt like I had just jumped off a cliff without a parachute, without anything. And I was like bracing myself for what's going to happen now. My heart's racing right now <laughs> as I'm reliving this, this because I haven't really talked about this in a while. And I remember her first response was, was it something that I did? And I said, mm-hmm. no. And I was confused and completely just at a loss for words. And I, I, we, of course, both started crying. And I wasn't in a space to kind of educate or to share. Yeah. It was just so emotional that I was, I was on the defensive side now, because when she had a response like that, I felt as though like, what do you mean? I just like, this is who I am. I was born this way. And that's, that's that. And so that conversation ended by me saying, okay, I need time. And I went up to my room and then that was, that was the end of that conversation. Later that night, luckily kind of had our, our space. And I have an older brother who I had already kind of shared this with before um, because I felt more, it was just easier with him. Um, yeah, to the most important person in my life. <laughs> yeah, and so he helped be the buffer between us. And after that conversation, we started opening up and just talking a little bit more about that incident and what was going through our minds. And what I learned was her response of was it something I did? It wasn't meant to be judging or anything. She, my mom actually told me that the thoughts racing through her mind at that moment was how do I protect my kid? Yep. How is the world going to treat my son now that he's, he's out and gay? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I've always been gay, you know? But so she was being protected with me and defensive for me. But in the moment I felt very Mm -hmm. alone because she didn't know the right words. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she even, she even told me that, she truly, truly thought that all gay people had AIDS. Mm-hmm. That was a fear. 
a fact in her mind that she grew up with and that she yeah. was and I was just so shocked by that because I never saw my mom as one of those like ignorant uneducated people and yet when she shared that I was like wow that's how deep the fear-mongering is yes. that is how deep and powerful you know hate is because mm -hmm. that creates that kind of mindset and people really think that's true even mm -hmm. in my own mom so from that day forward though everything became so much easier as far as my coming out process because mm -hmm. that was the single person that I was like if I can get past this and if I can have this conversation and still have the same support by the way she loves me she loves my husband to this day you know so we're we're like in a really really good place now it took time right but after that day I knew I could I could do anything it was it was kind of that feeling um after that conversation mm. wow so much of that I mean I would have been her. I came out to my kiddos before one of them came out to me. But if that had been reversed, I was her. I was the mom that was told, if your kid is gay, it's because the mom screwed up. Mm. I mean, that's never overtly said, but it is very much a part of mom culture, quite frankly. Mm. You know, it's it's you were over domineering or you didn't whatever, especially mother son issues. Right. Like it is so prevalent there. And until someone dispels that idea, of course, we hold on to it. Right. Yes. Oh, so I definitely identify with that immediate response of I must have done something wrong. And now my child is at risk because of these other realities right. that I believe. Right? right. So incredible. Hey, Pam. Our mission at Pride and Joy Foundation is to prevent suicide and homelessness in our LGBTQ plus community. We envision a world where every LGBTQ plus human is heard, housed and mentally healthy. We are reimagining how we are pursuing that in 2024, and we want your voice to be a part of that. Head to our website and take our two-question survey that our board will use to determine our path forward in 2024. Prideandjoyfoundation.com. Click on the survey banner at the top and let us know what issues you want us to focus on in 2024. Prideandjoyfoundation.com. Thank you so much, fam. So, Ricky, I'd like to ask you... From your perspective now, let's say tomorrow you were a mentor for a young kid, early 20s, in that situation right there. And you can see it's prior to coming out to themselves and to their family and everything. And you can see how it's affecting specifically their professional life. But because we are humans, we know how it's impacting the rest of their lives as well, right? What kind of suggestions would you have for that young Ricky, essentially, who's really at that crossroads? I think a couple of things. One is I always like focusing on the person because in a, in a world that is rapidly changing and there's so much going on constantly, so many opinions, it's so easy to lose ourselves. And I, I very much feel like that's the state that I was in because I was trying to externally get feedback, get input, get information, get opinions from people. And I didn't pause to think about myself, to turn inwards because I was so scared. I was scared of myself because right. of the way that I was. Society really, you know, trains people to fear 
gay their people. own intuition, yeah. right? If your intuition is that you're gay, that must mean your intuition is broken. Exactly. So don't listen to yourself. Right. So I would say the first thing is to try to shut out all the, what I call noise, external noise, turn inwards a little bit, whether that's journaling or whether that's just asking yourself, what makes me happy? What do I like? Getting to know yourself a little bit more helps to build that confidence. And I think in young people, especially nowadays where there's so many different types of stimulation out there, it's easy to get lost and it's easy to attach yourself to what other people say that they think you should do or what they think is the best for you and think that, oh, that's my opinion. I'm going to attach to that. So mm-hmm. one easy thing to do is to just shut out the world momentarily and spend some time getting to know yourself. I'm, I'm naturally a writer. I love journaling. I've always journaled pretty much my entire life. So that works for me. But sometimes it's, I don't know, listening to music. Sometimes it's writing your own music. Whatever it is that makes you feel yourself start there because that's that's the easiest way to get to know yourself and get more in touch with yourself and then the the second part is i like to also share a little bit of dreaming of okay imagine what life could be like right imagine what it is like for me for example i just walked through kind of a complete shift in my own life because i i walked that road and i i've been there not to say everyone has the same path, but I think just high, even highlighting, hey, this is what life could look like for an out gay man. If someone had shared that with me, just the possibility, just the sliver of possibility that you could be out, you could be gay, and you can have a success, successful career and own your own business and be happy. That, <laughs> those were all foreign to me, right? If someone yeah. had shared that with me when I was in my teens or 20s, I think I would have gotten here much quicker to be. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. And I would have been so much happier and I wouldn't have wasted as much time worrying about what other people thought, worrying about what I was supposed to do. So those, those two things are, are, are things that I like to, to bring for yeah. younger people, especially if they're trying to, to discover themselves. Um, Absolutely. I have a niece and nephew. Well, I have. Between my husband and I, we have five nephews and one niece. So we have a lot of a lot of excitement. And it's been so amazing watching them grow up. And that is one thing that I consistently try to instill in them is yes, there are so many things, activities, you know, go play soccer, go play piano, go do this. So many things that you can do and that their parents probably want them to do. But sometimes it's important to also think about is that is that what you want to do? Does that actually bring you joy? And if it doesn't, what is it that brings you joy? I think we don't often pause and ask those questions, even for very young children, right? People naturally have an instinct to know what they like and what they don't like. Mm -hmm. And if we start molding them and creating a path for them, that only sets them up to be people pleasers down the road, probably, or Mm -hmm. sets them up to be not as confident in themselves because their whole lives They've been kind of going down this path of, okay, I'm getting this input from people and I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to do this. So I just keep doing it and they'll end up in a bathroom stall like I was. (laughs) Mm. 
It's so true. It's so true. Something that I teach my clients is the ability to radically acknowledge the reality of the situation you're in, right? And you could be eight years old and playing soccer. And if you've been taught to radically acknowledge reality, you can say, I don't actually like soccer. I want to go take horseback riding lessons instead or whatever it is, right? And that's what prevents that internalized homophobia and transphobia later down the road of being able to radically acknowledge this is what I prefer and I'm going to do it, you know? Yeah. It's a skill that we have to develop at some point. So we might as well start when we're kids. Exactly. (laughs) What's your favorite part of your coaching business right now? Oh, so many, so many favorites. I think my favorite part is engaging with so many different types of people and learning from their experiences also. I get very, very energized when I have sessions with clients who are as committed as I am and they just share openly and to see their trajectory of growth. Typically, I I have packages. So on average, I work with clients at least three, three months onwards. And so even within the span of three months, I see a complete change and transformation in most of my clients where they start with thinking, oh, I want to work on, you know, I want to get a promotion. It's it's mostly, it's typically very tangible. Yeah. But by the end of it, it's, oh my gosh, I got this project and I completely have changed in terms of how I think, how I carry myself and how I show up. And I'm having people notice that too and tell me like, what's different about you? Some, something something has changed, right? So mm-hmm. I love seeing that transformation in my client. That's one of my favorite parts. And I'm also starting to get more involved in social media. And I love kind of tapping into this other side of coaching, which is making videos and becoming mm-hmm. a content creator and just being able to connect with so many different people in the world on mm-hmm. Instagram has been one of the, I think, more surprising aspects of coaching because I never thought like, okay, as a coach, I always thought it would be more limited in, you know, my immediate physical surroundings or even my Mm -hmm. communities. But Mm -hmm. now with social media, it's I'm connecting with people in China, in Singapore, in Mm -hmm. Italy. It's just it's mind boggling, but it's so amazing. So that's another part. It's just making those connections that I otherwise wouldn't have have made. I love that. And I really resonate with the idea of I love having clients that I can really learn from because what that tells me from a coach perspective is you're going to have a coach that is internally driven to as learn to learn as much about you and your experience as they possibly can, which is going to make them a better coach for you versus someone who's not internally driven to learn from you, right? That means that they are going to be more focused on what can they teach you, exactly. right? Versus that real depth of understanding to be able to make the connections that you need for real transformation. <laughs> I love it. So where do you see yourself in the next five or 10 years? What's your future looking like? Ooh, definitely we'll have dogs. Um, <laughs> I talk about this with my husband pretty frequently, just dreaming about like, okay, where where are we going to be in five to 10 years? I think from a personal standpoint, I, I definitely will be, will be surrounded by family and friends. I'm trying to be more mindful about creating more time for that right now. And I think from a business standpoint, I will 
So I'm writing a book right now and the book will be published and launched by the end of next year. So I definitely will be have one book um, published out there in the world, but probably in five to 10 years, I'll have several books that I've written. And I just want to be able to have a community built up where I, it's not just my voice and my stories that I'm sharing, but it's yeah. other people contributing and other people kind of just lifting one another up. Because mm-hmm. if I think of my coaching business, I have a I have a mission and a vision of creating a future with leaders that are more empathetic, more self-aware, and more diverse. I know that I single-handedly cannot do that and cannot change the world, right? I'm realistic enough to know that. But I think the more we have conversations like this, the more I expand my business and work with different variety of clients, the more they will feel comfortable and confident in sharing their stories. And then it becomes kind of a a ripple effect. So my hope is in five to 10 years, the conversation we're having now will be multiplied tenfold, hundredfold, and it will really help to empower communities that are typically more underrepresented Mm -hmm. in the workplace, in life and society in general, so that people just feel more comfortable sharing parts of themselves instead of hiding parts of themselves. That is my ultimate goal. And if we can get more people in our communities to be comfortable and safe talking openly about this, that would be a huge success for me. Wouldn't it though? Wouldn't it though? First of all, I love asking that question because I think a lot of us in the community, we don't dream about the future. Like that's not often a place where our brain goes. We are often stuck in survival mode for whatever reason, until we have the capacity to intentionally break out and dream about a future, right? So I love that we are modeling this for our community. Let's dream. Let's keep dreaming. What does the next five, 10 years look like for us? Let's dream about it. Our theme at Pride and Joy this year is your voice, your power. And I think that what you just said encapsulates that so well between doing the social media. I love how with coaching, doing social media, especially the videos, really forces you to distill your concepts down to these really clear, specific sound bites that are very accessible and understandable, right? So we're using our voice that way, and that's expanding the community and and inspiring others to use their voice. And then you're out there, you're going to have some books out there and out published and raising your voice even more, right? Which is going to attract those leaders that also want to see the more diversity, more empathy, more inclusion in the workplace. And that gets you to that community that you're hoping to have in the next five or 10 years of just a hundred times more voices being able to lead the way and having full self-inclusion as well as inclusion of others around them. Yes. Yeah. I, I want that feature. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I have goosebumps because it's a dream, but it can, it can and will become a reality if we put our minds to it. So it's, 100%. it's, uh, it makes me feel so excited and energized whenever I talk about this. I love it. And it starts with visibility. It starts with being willing to be visible to yourself, to others, and then using your voice in that visibility. It's where that dream begins. We are doing it. We are doing the thing. (laughs) I love it. Well, Ricky, where can we find you on Instagram so we can get a little taste of that? So on Instagram, my handle is at coaching with Ricky. Excellent. And And is there anywhere else we find you? Yeah, my website, uh, you can find me on rickycoo.com. 
Excellent. Thank you so much, Ricky. This was a blast. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I loved our conversation. So much appreciation for Ricky and the Hartford conversation we were able to have together. I know I saw pieces of myself throughout Ricky's journey, and I hope you did too. I'm sure you were able to see Ricky's strategic vulnerability moment. He powerfully taught about the vulnerable moment of coming out to his mom, and we all learned from it. While a tender moment, it wasn't painful for him to relive or for us to hear. Now, for clarity, let's explore an example of what sharing from a wound looks like instead of the scar. Now, this requires self-awareness so we can know when we're dysregulated. If we're sharing or leading from a wound and not the scar, a clear sign is our own dysregulation. We feel the physical signs of our dysregulation. We go from being logical and linear about the story that we're sharing to swirling in the emotion of the story. We say words or phrases we don't usually use many of which can be trauma triggers for our audience. And when someone in our audience or our team that we're leading has a similar wound, it can start their own spiral. That's one way that vulnerability can cause harm and why we need to be strategic about it. Another way to get clear on what leading from a wound looks like is to think about the leaders you've had in your own life. Chances are you've experienced at least one whose trauma is impacting their leadership. You know them. Maybe they explode without warning and wave it off with, oh, that's just who I am. You get used to it. Yeah. Or maybe they micromanage you because they've lost a sense of control. Or maybe your work is never quite good enough, even if it's exactly what they asked for. Yeah, that's when we know the wounds are dominating their leadership experiences. Inclusive leadership goes a long way both in our professional and our personal lives that in reality are all mixed up together. This was such a great episode. Thank you for joining us, fam. Be good to yourselves today. I appreciate you.